Hello, and welcome to Network Collective. Today, we have some great guests with us to talk about network overlays. So bring up your tunnels, check your MTU size, and simplify your underlay as we take networking to a whole new level. Today, we have some great guests with us to talk about network overlays. Ron, why don't you introduce yourself? Good evening, I'm Ron Fuller. I am a a systems engineer with a large software company, and I work with our customers on how they can best utilize our products in their data center environments. Great, and where can we find you online? I can be found predominantly on uh, Twitter at CCIE5851. Great. And Warren, introduce yourself. I'm Warren Jackson. I'm a uh, technical architect and I uh, specializing right now in SD-WAN. And uh, Very cool. you can find me online at, at WarjackNC. Awesome. All right. So let's dive in and start with the basics. Uh, let's talk about what, what is a network overlay? So a network overlay, when I talk with our customers about what it means to them, is really just um, putting another network on top of another one, right? So you end up disaggregating the overlay network from the underlying infrastructure. And customers choose to do that for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different benefits. And I think we'll go through a lot of those throughout the course of the show. But from a super high level, you know, we've been doing overlays for a very long time. So they're really nothing new. We're just using them for some uh, some interesting features and functionality that customers require today compared to where they were 20 some odd years ago. But the kind of song remains the same, right? It's mm-hmm. taking, taking something, wrapping it inside of another encapsulation in most cases and shipping it across some sort of underlying network transparent to the underlying infrastructure. So it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that today, how it's really nothing new at all. I mean, we, in a quick Google search, right? You look at uh, what the, the dates are on blog articles. That's one of the first things I do at least is, <laughs> is this thing completely like a thousand years old and I don't want to read it, but, and I'm looking at these, like what, what, you know, about VXLAN and, and various overlays and they're all pretty new. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't, I mean, when you think about it, isn't, Ethernet and overlay on serialized, you know, ones and zeros and IP is an overlay over Ethernet. And then, you know, we continue to build upon that. Now, granted, tonight we're going to talk about adding intelligence and control plane activity. We're going to get much deeper than that. But really, we've been doing that uh, since the very beginning. Am I, am I wrong? You're, you're spot on. So I, I, I go back in time and date myself a little bit, but in 1994, when I was taking my uh, Novell Certified Network Engineer courses, yeah. one of them was, yeah, exactly. One of them was called, <laughs> was called Networking Technologies. And it would talk about this thing called the OSI system model. I'm like, what the hell is this? Why, why would I even care what an OSI system model is? But it was ultimately about the seven layer model that we all hopefully know and love to some extent. And even back then, so 1994, we're talking about um, overlays and encapsulation technologies. And it, uh, it really took a while for me to get, kind of get my head around. But then once you have that foundation, I, I can look back and realize that I've been working with overlays well, mm. for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, probably helps engineers trying to grapple some of the newer technologies to look at it that way. At least in my opinion, it sort of it sort of demystifies. It takes a little bit of the edge off, and you know, uh, the understanding that you kind of already know this stuff, and now we're just going to look at it a little differently, and you know, we're going to add some more headers. <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think back to my old like college days, computer science, where early on they they teach you about abstraction, and and you know you you create this bucket um, that is wholly contained, and you know you it's like a black box, and what goes in it does what it needs to, and then data comes out the other side, and so the the principles of abstraction exist throughout computer science, and overlays is one of the ways that we um, I, you know, I realize abstraction in our networks. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what are, um, let's talk first about some overlay technologies that might be considered more traditional. And I'll use the air quotes for that. What, what, what are some overlays that come to mind? Uh, I can tell you the first one I ever used, and most of us probably the same thing was GRE. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, working with the government for all the years that I work with them, you know, a lot of the encryption devices and things the government use, uses uh, don't support multicast. So if you're going to do any type of next top dynamic routing, you've got to use a GRE kernel. And so that was, that was my first experience with GRE. And then uh, we started encrypting the GRE tunnels. And, uh, you know, when we started growing larger and larger, and we went from hub spoke you know, to large hub spoke with, you know, two or 300 nodes. And then you're talking about MGRE. And then, uh, of course, we went from that to DMVPN. So there's been kind of a progression through those, those stages. But GRE was my first. And I, I'm sure some of you have maybe have some different answers on that. But each one of those steps was to solve a specific problem, though, right? It wasn't just abstracting, adding layers of, right. of abstracted networking for no reason for the cool factor, which, you know, I, I'm guilty of doing sometimes. <laughs> they were all, you know, you, you, you mentioned uh, running routing over uh, um, uh, the WAN. You, you mentioned, uh, well, you talked about multicast and a couple of other things, then adding crypto tunnels on top of that. So each one of those were for a specific reason. And I think that's, that's kind of the impetus. That's the driving force of the discussion of overlays today in 2017 is, uh, you know, what there's new use cases popping up and, and that's probably why it's, we've always done it, but it's still a, a topic of conversation. Well, I, and I think that you kind of <laughs> yeah. talk about disaggregation at the same time. I know it's kind of hard. You, we want to focus on this one thing, but you know, uh-huh. we found out that separating the data plane from the control plane really is an effective thing. Mm-hmm. And it allows the data plane, especially like in the underlay, for instance, the underlay forwarding packets is what, what you want it to do. You want it to move packets from point A where the tunnel starts or the, or the overlay starts to the other side. And you want it to do it in a, in a, in a fast way. It's kind of when they, when they took and, and made the core distribution access model years ago, they just wanted the core to focus on moving packets, nothing yeah. else. And, uh, you know, now you, you've got the control panel that you've, you've pulled away. Uh, I was having a good conversation yesterday about eVPN. And one of the things that's, that's great about eVPN is it takes at layer two, instead of having to do like traditional ethernet and, uh, you know, Mac address, uh, learning happening in the data plane. Now you're, you're learning your, your Mac addresses through the control plane. And so that takes that, 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 and that makes it more scalable. So those are the, those are the kind of things I see, you know, and, and again, I didn't really want to go straight into disaggregation, but that's the first thing I think about now when we talk about modern solutions, that's what we're wanting to do. 
Yeah, I think desegregation is a component of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, although I might use some different terminology and I don't think it's universal, but uh, often I think at least with those, some of the modern technologies, uh, when we talk about essentially a control plane, data plane, it is reachability and policy. Mm-hmm. And so reachability we, is where the underlay sits. So the idea is, can I get from you know, a tunnel endpoint to tunnel endpoint? You know, and how can I do that effectively? And so our routing protocols traditionally have been very good at finding loop-free paths and mm-hmm. ensuring things go there. But our routing calls, uh, protocols are actually quite difficult sometimes to implement policy in. You know, I prefer routes from this particular location or, you know, I prefer things with, you know, I prefer routes that are blue over routes that are green or whatever it is <laughs> whatever your, it. your company policy is, right? Exactly. Um, and so implementing that in the routing protocol itself has been traditionally difficult Mm -hmm. um, because you're kind of overcoming some of its natural tendencies just to pick the best uh, lower level path. And so when you separate those two, it it makes it a bit easier. So the underlay just picks the best way to get from tunnel endpoint to tunnel endpoint. And then on, you know, the ingress of information into your overlay, you just choose, you know, which egress point is better based off of whatever policy your your company wants to deal with. Yeah, it's adding the intelligence to the to solve a problem, you know. So now I have like link up down. That's that's something. I have maybe hard coded metrics like the link cost over here or you know, I, uh, whatever you said on EIGRP, OSPF, things like that. Um, that's really about it. You can't do that much more. Um, and so adding another layer of intelligence here, that to me, that's the problem that we're solving with, with regard to routing specifically that you mentioned. Right. Well, and, well, and, and, and oh, go ahead, Yvonne. Uh, I was I was just going to say so the I, the security use cases are pretty profound too. I mean when okay. when I think about my first overlay, <laughs> I think about VPN tunnels because that's like at the beginning of my career I built tons and tons and tons of VPN tunnels, and that was that was an overlay across the internet most of the time to secure your traffic um, and encrypt it so that you know, your ISP or whoever might sit in the path of those packets so that they couldn't see the data. But even now when we talk about um, overlays maybe in the data center, we talk about segmentation, we talk about the ability to prevent mm-hmm. lateral movement between networks. Those are things that, um, you know, routing protocols are made so that everybody can talk to one another. Um, and then, um, which is great, except, you know, when you've got a piece of malware that wants to propagate across your entire network or when you need to provide segmentation from, you know, one particular uh uh, part of your network to another, but you don't want separate infrastructure for that. Um, yeah. And, and okay. overlays really um, make that easier than trying to do that in your underlay to, to shove all that policy into hmm. a routing protocol or with access control lists or any of those familiar mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you talk about those type of things and you think about in the overlay, you know, path selection, for instance, you know, most of the solutions we're seeing come out now, and you know, I mentioned I'm doing a lot of SD-WAN, uh, you're seeing the intelligent path selection happening in the overlay. Uh, we, t- we move packets from, point, from, from endpoint to endpoint in the underlay, but in the overlay, you know, we can measure things like jitter and delay and packet loss using, uh, you know, using a protocol that's running in the overlay itself to choose to do our path selection for us. And based on policy that we set, for instance, with voice traffic, we can say, you know, if I, if I reach a certain level of jitter, 
on uh, on this link uh, on link A, I'm going to move voice traffic off of link A to vo link B. And so that that type of control is what we've moved into the overlay, and and it's where our intelligence is. Add, adding to that, it's not just um, being able to measure those things because some of those things we've been able to measure on just traditional links, it's being able to measure them across multiple devices. And so a router and a routing protocol is gonna use the information that it has about, you know, its relationship with its immediate neighbors about whether or not a link is acting or behaving correctly. Yeah. When you, when you talk about, you know, SD-WAN, it's all the way from the branch through a particular, particular link all the way back to the, to the home hub site. And you're measuring that whole path because you've abstracted everything else that's underneath that. And you say, okay, along this path, what is my performance? And that, right. whole, that holistic view of, of the traffic from source to destination, not just in this interface and out this interface. And, and what do I know about those particular links um, gives us some, some broader information to work off of. Again, that's going back to the idea of adding real intelligence to the control plane. So do you, do you guys think it's fair then to say that uh, uh, the underlay needs to be as, as uh, unintelligent? Is that, is that the right word? Well, I just the other day <laughs> said uh, fast, dumb, and happy, right? That the underlay, you want to make it as dumb and fast as, as, and happy <laughs> as possible. And you want to, uh, uh, you know, the, your control plane is where you're adding the intelligence. That's the whole point of the, uh, the overlay that we're talking about tonight. And so uh, that's the real meat of what overlays are. It's really the, the differentiation between data plane and control plane in this particular case, right? Uh, I would say it's separation of duties. Okay. And, and so rather than saying it should be simple, um, we are uh, using technologies in their most efficient form and not trying to pile things on top of them that didn't belong there to begin with. And so the idea is, you know, a routing protocol is really great at choosing the best possible path between two endpoints. That's what it does. Okay. And this, this leads back to my statement about policies. The idea is if we can simplify and say, hey, routing protocol, just do what you were intended to do to begin with and do that really well. And then that's your little container of the world and that's all I care that you do. And then in this next layer, we're gonna implement policy or maybe it's another routing protocol with, with different you know, intentions or whatever. But the idea is <clears throat> by segmenting them off and layering them on top of each other, we can allow each one to do specifically what it was intended to do. Um, it, it's more isolation than it is about simplicity because maybe the underlay is really complex. Mm. But, but it's specifically intended for one purpose of the network and we're not confounding that complexity by adding a bunch of things to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the, the things that uh, is a kind of a side benefit of moving to an overlay model is that it also provides some change and failure domain separation too. Right? Oh, yeah. so, so especially when you start talking about, you know, teams that are, um, you know, or organizations that have disparate teams that manage different parts of the network or different applications in the environment, the ability for one to be able to manage and maintain their infrastructure with minimizing the impact of the other is actually a really big deal, right? People kind of trivialize and like, oh, you know, change the main big deal, check in the change control system and we'll follow ITIL best practices and life will be good. But the reality is having worked in a large global financial enterprise as a network engineer, change control was an absolute stinking nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. So so the, for the ability for me to be able to say, you know what, I'm gonna change a bunch of infrastructure in my core routing environment and it will marginally, if not nominally, impact your overall application because you're in an overlay and, and have a different topological view of the world than I do. True. It's actually really, really powerful, right? So. Yeah. 
Now, we, we've talked about a lot of great things that overlays do, but actually this is one of the things that introduces uh, interesting concepts that may not be as great. Um, and that is, um, I think Russ White calls them leaky abstractions. Right. So the idea that we've abstracted these two different environments and, and Ron is right, that's the way it should work. Uh, when we do the routing protocol underneath, um, it, it shouldn't affect whatever the policy is on top or whatever the whatever the thing is that is writing the, the underlay. But when you when you have these abstractions, <clears throat> sometimes there's some complexity involved in the way that those two surfaces interact with each other. And so if, if an underlying routing protocol doesn't behave correctly, sometimes it can affect the overlay. And when it does, it's much harder to identify than in our traditional networks because, you know, we, we, we've, we've segmented these networks in such a way that we, we now look at them as separate things. Um, and we see problems in layer one and really the, the, the problem is in layer two. And so, um, and sometimes it's really hard to diagnose. So it's just something to keep in mind when you do overlays. You're creating these, these interaction surfaces that we haven't experienced um, before, at least if you haven't done overlay networking, uh, that you do need to pay attention to and you do need to understand where one can potentially impact the other. So are you saying then that uh, the use of overlays as we do it today with a little bit more complexity than 15 years ago, let's say, um, uh, it, it creates a visibility problem? Uh, <laughs> no, I, not necessarily. So, so a good example. Uh, underlay and overlay is uh, recursive route learning. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have GRE, you know, we build a GRE tunnel across yep. a bunch of infrastructure and then we set up dynamic routing between the two and then we learn the route for the, uh, the tunnel endpoint through the tunnel that we just built. And now all of a sudden the tunnel comes crashing down because I can't learn how to get to it through the tunnel itself. Like mm -hmm. that's just, yep. you know, logically impossible. And so the whole thing comes crashing down. There was nothing wrong with the overlay or with GRE, but the GRE didn't function. That was actually a problem with the way you chose which, you know, it, it's the interaction between the overlay and the underlay about which route I would prefer. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, so now I have to take, you know, some, some steps. And so what happens when that, when that tunnel's correct when you set it up and then someone changes the underlying routing protocol and somehow impacts the way that the routes are learned over the GRE tunnel with the mm -hmm. dynamic protocol. And now all of a sudden your GRE tunnel goes down and you can be looking at that overlay, but the reality is, is the problem with something in the underlying yeah. underlay that's the issue. Well, and, and to, to your point, uh, in some of our more complex service provider architectures where you're doing things like carrier supporting carrier or uh, option A, B and C for enter AS, you know, you're stacking label upon label in MPLS and you know, if it, all it takes is one little thing in that stack for the whole thing to come tumbling down. And, you know, I, I think that it's kind of the same concept. It, what you, what's going on below, below you can't affect you. Uh, as, many, uh, as many advantages as we have with these overlays, that's, that to me is the, is the scariest thing. And, and, and when you talked, I know you mentioned earlier about, you know, we're talking about, you know, one interface going out and then coming into another device. And then you have a link between, you know, in, in your in your overlay, you're looking at the topology. You only see two devices. Well, it could be going through six devices between those two. So it's kind of it's kind of going on top of your point there. I mean, you have no idea what those are and you have no idea where the problem is. So you're just calling a number is what you're doing. More than likely, yeah. it's a service provider you're calling. Yeah. And so then you're relying on them to, and, and you know, we, we go through that even without overlays, you know, dealing with service providers. But when you're, you're trying to cut, when you're moving traffic around like that, you're, you're, it's kind of almost a needle in a haystack sometimes. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I look at it as it's very much a, a devil in the details type of uh, topology, right? So you have to be aware of the existence of both the, the overlay and the underlay to be able to be successful in operationalizing any of the environments. And as soon as you're not, that's where you run into the problem where either I introduce a recursive routing issue or I have some sort of cache of failure in my underlay and now my overlay is broken and I don't really know where to start to do that troubleshooting process, right? So. Uh, you know, uh, I think it just points out the, the significance of having somebody who's you know, technically competent uh, and understands the overall picture of the end-to-end -end environment, both from an overlay and an underlay perspective, to really be able to, to be successful. But to be fair, uh, intent-based networking is the next coolest overlay, and that presupposes that all network engineers will go away anyway, right? True. I mean, you know, we, can all be, we can all be tried to get a laugh out of everybody here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the overlay of overlays. Well, and I would add that part, part and anytime we're talking about overlay and underlay at any kind of scale, simplifying the underlay is always part of the conversation because you don't need a complex underlay and a complex overlay or, or, or well, how, well you, you know what I mean? We don't yeah. need them both to be yeah. complex. <laughs> yep. um, that, that you put the complexity where it makes sense. Um, and, and, and the underlay is just reachability. Um, and if you don't build it that way, then you're, you're just asking for trouble. Mm -hmm. So what are some other considerations then, like when, when, when working with overlays t today uh, in common scenarios, when we talked about, uh, and I brought up visibility, we talked about issues where there's a dependency on the underlay that you're not aware of and, you know, you're, you're searching in the dark. What, what else uh, should we be considering? I mean, MTU is obviously <laughs> always a concern when you're, when you're putting more uh, headers in your IP packet. So, okay, you know, dog, it's, it's, I heard you like the headers in your headers in your headers. <laughs> in your yeah. headers in the headers. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah. yeah. I thought that was clever. Yeah. But, uh, you know, okay, troubleshooting yeah, elaborate those, on that one. It's been going along, going on forever, you know. And, and then yeah. my favorite one is, is when you want to put in PMTU discovery, and then you've got things that are blocking your PMTU discovery. And so, you know, I, MTU size using a, a just MSS for the, mm. for the TCP segment size. Those are the kind of things you're, you're wanting to do to, to make sure that you're not, you know, doing a lot of fragmentation because a lot of your routers out there are not going to have the horsepower to do a lot of fragmentation. Mm -hmm. right. So you're going to, you're going to, yeah, you can end up causing yourself a lot of problems. And if you're using a lot of applications that are, you know, delay sensitive and those kind of things that can be a big problem for you. Yeah, MTU is table stakes. Like you have to pay attention to it. Like yeah, you have just, yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. Like you have to that's, pay attention to MTU. Table stakes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Um, uh, I'm going to point back to, I, I want to bring up a, a couple of small examples and just to, to kind of reiterate this whole idea of, of understanding the interaction surfaces. Um, because I think that when you plan an overlay, like this is really, you know, beyond MTU is, is the important part. The, um, so the, the first one is uh, John Herbert, um, movingpackets.net, his blog mm -hmm. is, is great. Um, he brought up an excellent use case uh, not too long ago about the impact of traceroute on MPLS networks. And uh, this is a great overlay, underlay understanding, because right, TTL, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, traceroute works on the idea that, you know, I send out a packet, TTL expires, and, mm -hmm. and it sends it back because it says, you know, your TTL's expired, and I learned every hop along the way. 
So, you know, when, you're, when your packet hits the PE router, and, and we're assuming the MPLS network obfuscates all the hops. Right. right? And so right. The, the PE knows my address, and so it sends it back. And then it gets the next one, and it sends it on to the P router inside the MPLS network. Well, it doesn't know my address, right? It, it, on its router, it has no idea what my address is, but the TTL is passed along to the MPLS header. And it dies there. Well, what does it do? It actually sends it all the way down because it has the label. And that's all that it has. It sends it all the way to the other end of the MPLS network and then returns it back to you. So every hop inside an MPLS network can actually come back with the exact same result of, of time to expire, even though that's not really the, the performance behavior. It's just because of the way that the traffic flows. Right. And so now we have this like weird little interaction between the way that the overlay works, MPLS just sends traffic into end and the way the underlay works, which is the whole, you know, TTL expiring, sending it back with ICMP expired messages. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's, it's just an interesting example. Um, and to bring up the MTU point, I had a fun little, fun little story, uh, working at a place and, uh, network I inherited like most of us do, right? Didn't get to build it from scratch. And uh, we changed some WAN routing and which kind of redirected the way things worked. It ended up having a lot of traffic go through a pop that it didn't go through before. And all of a sudden we had this like file transfer application that wasn't working well. And, um, and I'm like digging into this, digging this into this, and I can't, you know, like I'm starting testing. And so I test, you know, speaking to MTU, you know, send a, send a packet with do not fragment and see and see how large I can actually get it to go through. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, I had an MTU issue. And so I'm like checking every hop, like what, where is this thing dying? What, what's going on? It turns out that someone had implemented or turned on MPLS on a single link between two routers within the same site, but hadn't done any MTU adjustment. And so this, this file transfer application was, had, had said do not fragment because it didn't want, you know, it's, it's packets fragmented and it's sending it across and these things are just absolutely dying. And we only discovered this because of the fact that all of a sudden we were sending a lot of traffic over. And it's just that, again, that, that whole idea of the importance of MTU mm -hmm. um, just killed it. So we've, we've talked about all of the, uh, well, we've talked about lots of overlays except for the big one. Um, which is VXLAN, and we know that uh, we know that VXLAN is is part of uh, VMware and, and NSX, and we also see implementations of VXLAN uh, by uh, Arista or Cisco, um, and they're not not all VXLAN is created equal. So let's let's talk about VXLAN as an overlay a bit, and uh, and how how to think about that technology. Well, I mean, I, it would probably be good to start just with a little bit with some of the concepts, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in VXLAN, uh, you have your, your uh, VTEPs or VXLAN tunnel endpoints, right? These are the things that sit at the edge that, you know, is where you learn mm -hmm. uh, which things are there. You have uh, something called a VNI, Virtual Network Identifier. I believe that's the right acronym. Or V, <laughs> depending is. on which book you're reading. But yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, which, uh, which is, you know, I guess if you're looking for it equivalently, it's like, it's like a VLAN. Mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 you know, a uh, shared broadcast domain uh, across devices. And so, and then uh, VXLAN itself isn't, it's just an isolation. It's not necessarily a control plane. It's usually paired up with something else um, to, to propagate that information that's learned between devices. And so, you know, in, in like an SDN environment, that might be the controller. In EVPN, they use BGP to propagate information. Um, Ron, what does uh, uh, NSX use in so, VXLAN? Yep. So um, with, NS, with NSX, it's a uh, controller-based architecture. So we've got a cluster of controllers for redundancy to be able to do all of the 
learning and distribution and kind of be the all seeing all knowing, um, you know, table of, uh, Mac IP and Max to VTAP mappings and, and things of that nature. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, when you look at, but when you look at VXN just holistically, NSX, you know, in, included really, it becomes very much a choose your own adventure. So you mentioned that VXN primarily is the data plane component, right? It's the encapsulation of the layer two frame, putting it into UDP, wrapping mm-hmm. it in goodness and love, sending it across the network with a special header, life is good. The mechanism of how that happens though really comes down to, am I controller based or am I going to do something else, right? That something else can be something as simple as from the standard itself being multicast based, which right. for a lot of customers is almost an immediate turnoff. As so you say, hey, great. So let's do VXLAN and uh, you guys have PIM enabled, right? And they're like, uh, no, right? <laughs> we, we turned it on this one time and then we had a catastrophic meltdown on our HP printers, you know, broadcast SLP, and then it all went haywire, and our soups went crazy, and you know, whatever. You too? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I heard about it this one time. I heard it on TV, but um, but you 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 can leverage multicast for that. You can leverage uh, um, you know, a control-based architecture. You can leverage uh, you know, BGP with EDPN. So there's there's lots of different ways. It's very very extensible, and I think that's part of why is something that so many different vendors have kind of gravitated towards as a solution to get it from, you know, hey, here's a science fair project to do some mm-hmm. encapsulation, which is where it was maybe, you know, five years ago, right? When we were talking about OTV everywhere all the time or uh, VPLS or just, you know, one q trunking. And and now we've got the, the XLAN as a, as a solution, right? So lots of different ways to, to do it. And there's pros and cons to all of those, right? So as, as always with everything, you kind of have to do, you do a little bit of homework to figure out which one is the right one for you, right? Which, which, which shoe fits the Cinderella foot. So what, what problems specifically does uh, VXLAN solve then? Uh, we're talking about the data center here, but I, I know there's use cases outside the data center, but in the data center, what, what are we trying to solve? So if I go back in history and, and kind of go, you know, why did we, we need VXLAN as a solution? Mm-hmm. The, the first problem we were trying to solve was, hey, there's only 4,000 VLANs available to us. And 4,000 won't cut it if I start to look at either a very dense data center or mm-hmm. a data center where I've got small, small VLANs or I'm maybe trying to align VLAN to application for, you know, whatever reason. So, so let's solve that problem. We did that by leveraging VNIs and the VXN UDP header that allows us to now have 16 million. So hopefully that'll hold us over until at least I retire and then it could be somebody else's problem. Right? <laughs> but, I just, but, uh, I, I just find it funny. I just, I just a comment here. Every time we run out of space in something, we go from one fixed header field to another <laughs> fixed head, header field. And, and, and I, I just while announcing this, it infinite. Yeah, I just, right. I, I find it hilarious because I mean, we all sit here and talk. It's like, you know, well, we'll never get to 16 million or whatever it is. Okay. And someone's going to, it's going to happen. Someone's going to get reached at the end and they're going to be like VXLAN header fields, not large enough. And so either we're going yeah. to steal from something else or we're going to have to create the next technology to do it. Meanwhile, we have things like TLVs and <laughs> all of this that we can, uh, that we could utilize to, uh, to make it a bit more variable, but I know, you know, processors yeah. and devices don't like variable length fields, but I just think it's hilarious. We keep inventing, you know, Oh, this many bits will do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, lo and behold, this whole conversation is what's old is new again. Right. Yep. I mean, so we, we, we didn't even touch on, you know, or I didn't bring up my first encapsulation experience, right. For an overlay, it was a technology called data link switching for SNA networks. Right. So think of 
old crusty layer two networks that were MAC address based, no concept of routing protocol in Cisco at the time was very innovative. And they're like, hey, we can solve this problem. We can start to consolidate your SNA onto your IP infrastructure. It was a program called Cisco Blue, right? So, you know, Google that and and, and get ready for some dark ages. But, 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 but. <laughs> you say you say that, Rod, and I know we just talked, uh, we were talking about this before in prep for the show, but I found DS, DLSW running just uh, three or four months ago. I mean, like in production on a network, still running, still running SNA. Um, and they were, and they were just shocked, just shocked that it wouldn't run on brand new Nexus, you know, 7700s. I'm like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> so, so my previous job uh, was as a uh, technical marketing engineer in the Nexus 7000 team. Yep. And our job was to talk with customers about, hey, here's how you do your migration from your Catalyst 6500 environment to a shiny Nexus 7000 type of environment or 7700, depending on which which year we're yeah, talking which about. generation you got in, yep. Yeah, and, and it was and it was always shocking for people to be like, holy crap, we have a DLSW in this config, what are we doing? And you find that there's this one controller that's sitting down the corner, or you know, I think your, your example was time clocks or something like that, right? There's always some crazy application that, that's just out there and there and there always is and we had people putting in feature requests all the time hey we need sna uh support for dlsw on n7k no. and it was categorically just no, no. <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> yeah here's your isr enjoy it go away right you put it in the corner hang it off of your 7k and let it do the encapsulation but I'm but doing yeah. you a favor. I promise. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm not exactly going to enable this anymore. <laughs> that's exactly it. Right. I was, I was watching You're welcome. Was earlier. <laughs> and I think Russ, Russ White said, you know, Hey, 16 million lines of code in iOS. What are we doing? Well, you know, our, our approach in the 7k team was if it in more modern cutting edge data center stuff, it's not going in our code. It's just that simple. Right. So, and same for NSX. Guess what? We don't support any SNA applications or Apple Talk or IPX. So I would know. be re I'd be really really sad if SNA made it and DLSW made it into some sort of like you know new data center overlay technology. I mean, it's bad. It would be bad enough if it made it into Nexus, but now if you're if you you know virtual <laughs> devices with DLSW, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but anyway, so the point was, hey, what's old is new again, right? So we we keep recycling these same technologies and same concepts, and just like you mentioned the 4,000 VLANs is never enough and I you know, 16 million won't hold me over for forever. Um, I think everybody kind of has a mindset of, I'm just gonna kick the can down the road until it's not my problem anymore because I'll be retired. And that's kind of my approach with IPv6 is that, you know? <laughs> you're, you're just kicking the can down the wow. road, is that your approach? <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, you know, I, I know enough to be dangerous and uh, you know, we'll, we'll do stuff with it, but I'm not going to probably be around by the time everybody says, I'm going to be the guy who turn off the last IPv4 router. No, that's uh, my, back in 2005. I was uh, that was one of my jobs was to prep us for IPv6 because it was coming within two years. <laughs> but so some of us are closer to retirement. <laughs> it's coming. Harder, just throw it out there. I got a few years. I got more than a few years left. So uh, good, good point. Good point. I, if, I keep, I ask, if, I keep, if I keep doing some good living, then maybe I'll retire. Yeah, there you go. So you got time. you gave you gave one one solid, and I think it's one of the stand. You know, a very important uh, uh, use case for VXLAN and really any data center overlay, you know, if you want to talk about Cisco proprietary, like OTV is to expand, you know, the, like Jordan said, 
the 4,000 VLANs to 16 million. So now I have my, uh, you know, I'm running a thousand ESXi hosts and, and each host has however many VMs. And, and so it's just exponential how the, how many number of, of, of endpoints are in a data center as opposed to 10 years ago. The, the increase is what I mean as far as the exponential increase and, and how applications need segmentation and stuff. What, what's another, what are some other use cases? I and mean, we can focus on the data center since that's kind of your, your realm. I would, uh, I would ask anybody to raise your hand if you have been on an outage call in the middle of the night because of an ARP storm. Yeah, Arp right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so one of the big advantages of a lot of technologies that utilize VXLAN in a centralized control plane is they get rid of so much of the flood and learn traffic, right? You've got okay. a centralized controller that manages your MAC addresses, ties them to IP addresses, knows where all that lives across the environment, mm -hmm. and it, it, it short circuits that flood and learn um, process that that we have known from ARP and and should in theory you know stabilize our networks um, keep a keep a rogue device from being able to you know bring down an environment shrink the blast radius like we were talking earlier but still That's keeping some things. of the benefits of, of layer two. So, so, you know, we're going to use VXLAN so we can maintain some of those layer two adjacencies. We can still have VM mobility, you know, those things that rely on that. Um, yet without the, the pro some of the problems of layer two, like, like spanning tree, you know, I can have a, a, an active and a standby link, but I'm not doing ECMP. I, don't, I have a lot of links that are just dark. So, you know, VXLAN allows me to do that as well. So there's, there's, there's a lot, it's an interesting, it's an interesting blend there, how you have all these advantages of layer two and and yet you can still grab on some of the advantages of layer three and you know sh sh stick them together stick them stick them together stick whichever em. one you want to use so phil you kind of you kind of just uh you know kind of raced right by there i think one of the, the most common use cases for vxlan i'm very fast go right back. Data center. <laughs> <laughs> so it, a lot of it has to do with building uh building data center fabrics right okay it's yeah. just a really convenient way to do this and so by by creating this overlay network and separating the overlay and underlay you know we talked about the vtap right and so we we know host a is available at vtap a and host b is is available at vtap b and all that my all that my overlay need to know is I need to get traffic from VTEP A to VTEP B. Now the underlay says, hey, those these are the IP addresses for those. Mm -hmm. And we can set up this fabric for this scalable routing protocol using exactly what you said, ECMP. So, you know, your underlay is, I mean, it's popular to use ISIS, but you could use OSPF, you could use whatever you wanted on the underlay. It doesn't really matter. Um, well, I guess I probably shouldn't say that. It does matter. All yeah, of them will work. I follow you. <laughs> as long as you have reachability. I, I mentally corrected uh, you when you said yeah, that one thing. Thanks. I, 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 saw, okay. I saw the judgment coming from Ron. And I'm like, I better say something. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, so you run another routing protocol in your underlay and it uses ECMP. And so now you create this, you know, this whole new spine leaf architecture where, mm, right. you know, where mm -hmm. I can have this horizontal uh, scaling capacity for throughput that's really only limited by the number of, you know, front side facing ports that I can put on my switch. Um, and so, and so traditionally, like we have this, you know, big monolithic core, Ron's familiar with them and the Nexus, you know, 7,000 line, right? Like this big monolithic core that you need to build an immense amount of capacity to run through it. If you're going to run a big data center network and have that at the be at the middle. And so by using VXLAN overlay underlay technologies, we can create these, you know, flexible, uh, scalable data center architectures, which I think is why it's the, you know, the new hotness and technology, right? Is it talking about overlays? Cause we talked about it. They've been around forever. Mm -hmm. um, but this is why we're talking about them a lot now is because 
they seem to be in every single solution that's out there, especially in the data center. And then also we combine that with SDN and specifically SD-WAN. Yeah. It's just like everything now is, is some sort of, you know, encapsulation or overlay technology. Yeah. Whether it's VXLAN or not, because um, you do see VXLAN in, in outside the data center now. Uh, uh, but that is interesting. You know, the, the overlay, the concept of running overlays is expanding outside the data center, which is kind of traditionally what, what, how conversations have been over the past few years. So what, how, how are, and you brought up SD-WAN, but uh, let, can we dive into that for a minute? What, what are some areas outside the data center that we're seeing overlays kind of impacting the way we do networking today? I hear a train. Whistle. I mean, SD, SD-WAN's <laughs> the big one, right? Yeah, I was going mean, to yeah, what else can you say? It uses, yeah. uh, well, yes. you know, but I mean, it, 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 it does things that we've not done before, especially around the control plane and how we intelligently steer traffic. But still, when you unpack it all, it's still tunnels, either mm -hmm. GRE or IPsec. And it's still, you know, you have an underlay um, uh, routed network and then you have an, an for reachability and then you have an yeah. overlay on top of that and what Warren was talking about earlier is that the overlay has intelligence in it that can understand the performance of the underlay and can intelligently route traffic based on uh, characteristics you define um, in the underlay as far as latency loss and jitter or things like that so mm -hmm. And, and, and to, to, to add to that, Yvonne, I think what SD-WAN has done for the enterprise is, is give it the power that service providers have had for a long time. They've given them a lot of MPLS layer three VPN capabilities that the, that the service providers have, have been providing you. You just didn't know it, but you actually have control of the overlay from end to end. Like you, you can, you're actually steering your own traffic because you have a visibility of, of where it's going. And, and so that's one of the reasons why a lot of them are using extensions, you know, MPLS extensions in IP, for instance, mm -hmm. to, to, to be able to identify links, to be able to say on this, this, this link is, is got certain performance characteristics, right? So I know that there's certain types of traffic I want to push across that link. And so uh, I, I think that uh, it, it, it's just giving us capabilities that, that were not in the WAN before from, from the enterprise perspective. You know, like again, SPs have had that, had those capabilities for a long time. And, you know, now you're seeing it leak into the layer two, into layer two, basically in the data center. But, you know, when, when you see the fact that, that uh, EVPN is gonna really kind of push VPLS out the door, I mean, you, you see the importance of, of, the, of the control plane, data plane separation and those kind of things that are coming into play now. Hmm. Yeah, I I hear that. Jordan, you're thinking yeah. you you got to say it. I don't know what's going on, but I yeah. can see the wheels turning. Yeah, I'm I'm you know. There's a statement you said that bothers me, and it's not what you said because it's just a lot of people say, you know, technology, sure. technologies that we haven't had in the WAN before, which I completely disagree with. There is nothing about SD-WAN that's new. <laughs> it's a pretty package on tunneling and traffic engineering. And so, you know, it, it, and, and what it is, and I, believe me, I'm a huge believer that SD-WAN is going to make a huge difference, a lot of, difference in a lot of networks, but it makes it pretty and it makes it easier to manage. Right. And so it does some good things. It reduces some of the complexity, at least some of the forward facing complexity. 
but we've always been able to do this. It's just whether or not we were ready and willing to tackle this level of complexity in our enterprise networks. Well, it's it's a, it's an accessibility conversation. Absolutely. Right? If you're, Absolutely. If you're talking about enterprise network engineers who are somewhere middling between CCNA and CCMP, you know, an enterprise that doesn't have, can't afford a CCIE on staff, you know, the, they just don't have the skills or the bandwidth, pardon the pun, to, to oh, yeah. implement <laughs> an intelligent weigh-in solution because they, they, they're not going to unpack PFR and AVC and all those different technologies, and they're not going to be able to stitch them together. It's about accessibility. It's not that they've I, I not been available. Most CCIEs can't do that effectively either. I don't. I don't know so necessarily that it's. I mean, like, just to be honest, right? Like, no, no, no. I'm. I, hello. Yes. Um, uh, PFR in its state before was not something that I ever wanted to touch. It just. It just wasn't. It's gotten better as this as this goes with. The, and so, like, this idea of these technologies and piecing them together. Um, all these individual and non-coordinated, I think really what the difference in, in SUN is that we see the controller. That's the, really the big difference is that we have yeah, a yeah, cent yeah. centralized controller to manage these really complex technologies that, you know, when we manage them hop by hop, we're a lot more difficult. And we are definitely going down a rabbit hole. So I'm going to try no, to no, summarize no, no, that yeah. up. Yeah, but I mean, like the, the idea is it's the controller. The controller is what makes it different. It makes it more manageable. You know, in any network of size, trying to piece together what was included, you know, just taking a look specifically at Cisco IOM because we know all the pieces that are dropped in there. Um, if I were to try to configure all those without a controller involved and make the decisions consistent across a network of anything more than five routers, that's a big, big request. And it takes a lot of engineering and, and time to, to make that happen. It really sure. simplifies, simplifies and abstracts a lot of that. And so I think that's why, you know, SD-WAN and especially an overlay. Um, and, and we're gonna see this too. I mean, to, to kind of head back towards what we were talking about. We're gonna see this on the campus too. I mean, Cisco's big announcement at Cisco Live this year, right? Was mm -hmm. SD Access. Yep. And so um, now there's some <laughs> there's some there's some uh, you know some question about the overlay yeah. that they're using in there, right? So they're they're using they're using Lisp um, rather than VXLAN or some other standards based you know uh, uh, technology to do segmentation and reachability and policy. But beyond that, we're still going to have the same concept of an overlay um, where we can you know put a device you know in site A and then person gets in a car and drives to site B and connects and he doesn't have to change his IP address because I can, you know, I can just connect it and then route it accordingly. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, we're going to see it in all areas. It's pretty much, I think, you know, five years, 10 years from now, it's going to be hard to find a network where we're not using an overlay as the primary method for policy enforcement or policy, you know, uh, I guess policy enforcement is the right word. The, the way of implementing yeah. policy on our network is it's just going to happen in an overlay. Whether you're talking about an access network, you're talking about a WAN, you're talking about the data center, there's going to be an overlay of some kind and let the ability well, do the routing. And I would say that there'll probably be multiple overlays, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. So you're going you're to have enterprise customers who are going to buy uh, an SD-WAN solution from vendor A and yeah. uh, data center solution from vendor B, and they're going to have maybe the same underlying mechanics, but it's a, it's a different overlay controller or, or uh, methodology for that, right? So, mm. so it's that brings um, up an interesting point, though. So we haven't discussed the, the concept of uh, vendor interoperability and, and things like that. Because, I mean, VXLAN is open, right? Huh. <laughs> well, that, but that, that, that laugh is what I was getting at. Yeah. Like, well, technically, so it's, it's open, right? 
But well, okay, there you go. Well, so, so I, I guess I should say EVPN. And the IGRP. VXLAN is open, right? So VXLAN yeah. and interoperability, it's really in, in the control plane, whatever, whatever you're dropping on top mm -hmm. of VXLAN that should be open. <laughs> but isn't always right. So we have we have the far side of that with closed infrastructure, just like uh, Cisco ACI controller based mm -hmm. uses right. uh, VXLAN, but they've added to it. <laughs> so they've added additional headers or modified headers. I don't know exactly what the differences are, um, but they've made changes in VXLAN that makes it completely impossible to interrupt with any, anyone else. You can't put another device into an ACI network, uh, even if they would ever let you and have it work. Um, and then you have you know you know, standards-based VXLAN, which will interoperate, but then you have to have a control plane on top of it. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, uh, we're having issues there. So I think there's, there's hope that like in an EVPN where we're using BGP, that we might be able to sync up between, you know, VXLAN networks and, and have them interop. Um, but that's still a kind of a, a <laughs> hairy situation right now. And, and like any technology that emerges, right? Like everyone implements what they want to do and then hopefully customers demand that we find some way to make them work together. Yeah. Well, and then you've got interoperability at a whole nother layer, which is the, the uh, controller interoperability, right? Like how do you make sure that policy that you apply on your WAN with your WAN overlay solution is going to work all the way through the core of your network with policy that you apply on your data center overlay, right? And so there's a, there's, and nobody's doing that yet, right? There well, is no thing to help you stitch those technologies together and so i think of the next five years we're gonna see some so i think we'll see some development in that area because uh, we've still got multiple systems to manage and we don't have you know one controller to rule them all Wait, or anything like that in what area do you mean? Like you're going to, you say in the next five years, we're going to see developments in some kind of a vendor, vendor agnostic controller development. That is that what you mean? Well, I, just interoperability between the control planes is what I'm talking about. I don't know what form that's going to take. All you have to do is abstract it's it again. It's funny that you mentioned that because. <laughs> just abstract it again. Yeah, I mean, it's just, well, just put another layer on top of it and you have, you know. And it's yeah, funny. Layer 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 layer. Warren, Warren's trying here. Go ahead. Man. <laughs> Sorry, man. It's, 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 it's all right, buddy. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, because Ron, it, it, that you're that you're on here, and we're talking about this subject because you know, with VeloCloud getting purchased by VMware, you know, I, it really brings a little bit of imagination to this because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm picturing NSX running in the branch. I mean, is that something that that could happen? <laughs> put him uh, on the spot. Put him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta ask. Um, uh, let's say that everybody. I can neither confirm nor deny. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so <laughs> uh, everyone who downloads this by downloading it, you are accepting the NDA. You're accepting. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. I, in all fairness, I'm not in a position to to even be privy to, to know. But I mean, no, but I mean, you get it right on the wall. Long term, absolutely right. We've already have some customers who are doing NSX, what we call Robo, Road Office, Branch Office, NSX deployments. But they're not necessarily going to be a small mom and pop sh shop or, a, you know, I got a, I got a need for an ATM connectivity out here and branching out or nowhereville, Ohio. But certainly for the larger our offices, there's definitely use cases for NSX out there. And I think certainly the Velo Cloud acquisition is going to bring some interesting opportunities to the table for, for my employer. It's kind of fascinating because, you know, VMware makes this play and it's it's just going right at the, I mean, it's not just, we're not just going to be satisfied to stay in the in the data center. It's a very uh, intriguing to me. Like it's probably the, the most intriguing acquisition of the year to me. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, for us. It's, I mean, it's, and and it it really is going to change how we think about SD WAN and what that technology is and what it does. Um, which I think is interesting. So this has been a great conversation. I know that we have been talking about some more deep dives on specific overlay technologies. So uh, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter if there's a particular overlay technology you'd like more deep dive on. Um, So as we wrap this thing up, I want to give my co-host an opportunity to tell you where where you can find them. There we go. Get my words in the right order. All right, Phil. Hey, I'm Phil Gervasi. You can find me on Twitter at network underscore Phil and the blog is networkphil.com. And Jordan? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BC Jordo, um, my blog, jordanmartin.net. And I'm Yvonne Sharp. You can find me on the blog at esharp.net or at Sharp Network on Twitter. Uh, thanks for joining us.